Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. And this is episode 105. Yeah. So, hey, this week, I found something pretty cool. Uh, so, there's a, a character on YouTube. Uh, actually, so let me preface this real quick. This is a little bit more of like an announcement for someone else's thing, but I thought it was super cool that I just wanted to share it because uh, it's something that potentially maybe we or maybe one of our listeners might be interested in actually doing. Uh, so there's a YouTube channel that's called Stand Up Maths. Okay. Uh, so it's run by a guy named Matt Parker. and he's, Not me. No. He, he's an entertaining mathematician. and he Definitely not me. Yeah. He goes around the nation and just does like, well, not the nation, goes actually around the world and gives talks about mathematics. And most of the time it's like really just, it's goofy, but it's fun and it makes math just kind of interesting. And it's really great background listening stuff when you're working on a project. Um, so I've been watching this guy on YouTube for a while. And uh, this week uh, earlier, I saw a video that that's, he recently released about a three-sided dice. Um and I'm totally going to steal this from his, from his Utah, YouTube But not channel. like a normal D3, which has, she has, what, four sides? Well, a, a, a three-sided dice, the way I've seen it before, is like, take a triangle okay. and extrude it. So oh, it has okay. five sides. Five sides, but it can but only roll on three. You roll it like right. a... Yeah, okay, I see So, so get this, and I'm, and I'm stealing this directly from his YouTube. So if you go listen to it, it's going to be a repeat. So think of a quarter, right? Okay. A quarter has two sides. But it really kind of has three, because it actually has a thickness to it. Yeah, it has the uh, circumference plus depth. Right, right. Or times depth. So if you flip a quarter, you know, the, there's an unbelievably high probability that it's going to land on one of the faces, but it could land on an edge. Yeah, right? so it's like, it's, like, it's like 49, 49, and then two. Well, yeah, actually, right. probably less than that, but Way yeah. Way less, yeah, but yeah, yeah, like that. So take the other extreme. If you were to take a pen and flip a pen, it's never going to get heads or tails. It's always going to land on the side, right? Yep. So there's a cylinder that is somewhere between a quarter and a pen where it is equally distri- uh, distributed that if you flip it, it could land on either of the faces or the side. And gotcha. there's an equal chance for that. Wouldn't that be just... It's a, You said cylinder, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a quarter that's extruded. Yep. So the cool thing is... It's like the size of a soup can? You know, I, the thing is, they're trying to figure it out. Oh, okay. Nobody actually knows what the shape is. I yeah, mean, yeah. Well, we know what the shape is, but we don't know what the ratio of the thickness to the diameter is. And the way they're figuring it out is actually really fun because uh, they're allowing the community to help out with this. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring this up because it sort of relates to a little bit of what we've talked about in the past with a handful of topics. Um, so... They actually, this guy, Matt Parker, uh, got together with an engineer, and they tried to, like, figure out some, some nice ratios that, such that it works, and they actually 3D printed, or they laser cut some dice, yep. and they tried it. They rolled them, like, a thousand times, got all the distribution, got a statistician to come and look at the probabilities, and they were way off. Like, huh. their, their dice is not a perfect three-sided dice. So what they decided to do was create 3D printable die that you can get off of Thingiverse. He wants to use my 3D printer. <laughs> I, want, I want a lot of people to do this. They, they created these kits of dice that, that anyone can go mm-hmm. and 3D print them uh, at different ratios. You can go and roll them and get a whole data set 
And they have this website where anyone can upload their own data set for this dice. And they're going to take all of this data and they're going to do a massive community crunch to find empirically what is an, a real three-sided dice. Because it's actually super hard to calculate. Yep. So instead of calculating it, they're just going to have a bunch of people do it. Yeah. So this, this got me thinking on like maybe doing an AI learning program that has a physics model. Right, and and have to yeah, just, drop it fifty million times. Yeah, and try to find a cylinder that equally distributes that, and that way, you know, I wonder if you gotta think they would have tried that, you know, or I, they're just trying a different way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're just trying to, you know, yeah. they're they're probably trying to get YouTube views and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was super cool to engage the community, and and it's this is one of those like things that seems like when I first heard about, it, I was like. That sounds like something a mathematician would have done like 60 years ago. This sounds like a problem that, you know, these kind of simple, and I put that in quotes, problems, you know, a lot of them have been solved, but I guess a lot of them haven't. Mm -hmm. This is not something that really matters to day-to-day life, but at the same time, it's super cool that you can be a part of it. So we'll we'll put up um, links to the the websites where you can, uh, well, the Thingiverse, we'll put up a link to... Matt's uh, YouTube video and uh, the place where you can upload your data. I guess I'm going to print some dice. Well, and 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 at the same time, for twenty bucks, all of them, all the dov- uh, dice sets, ten dice sets, are available on um, Shapeways. Ah. So for twenty bucks, you can get them in various yeah. radiuses, or you can get one set that's ten dice in a bunch of different radiuses. Gotcha. And well, and the radius are all ratios to their thickness yep and sometimes like they have a whole bunch of like goofy ones that are like the 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 ratio is e or the ratio is pi or you know yeah. a lot of like real mathy kind of those things i don't know i just thought that was really cool and i thought it was worth sharing i would love to see like a bunch of people give it a shot yeah um I, i'm definitely gonna give that a shot that sounds cool yeah and for you know if you don't get a 3d printer um shapeways got you know 20 bucks is not bad to partake in this yeah and there is a video showing the official rules for this, and and really, there's only one rule, and it's how to roll the dice because they want everyone to have. You put it in a cup. You put and roll. yeah, you put it in a cup. There's a certain like number of shapes, and then there's a drop, and then you count you know heads, tails, sides. Uh, so yeah, they have like a whole system, and I don't know. I think I think that would just be really cool to be like, yeah, I helped determine what the golden three die three sided die ratio, ratio is. is. Um, you know, it got me thinking because we we played. Um uh, Star Wars D20 last Friday. Yep. Um, and we did some streaming on that, but the... I, I guess I can put a link to the stream as well. Uh-oh. Watch out. We got really drunk. <laughs> you got really yeah. drunk. <laughs> well, Roz was pretty drunk, too. One, yeah. of our, one of our gaming friends, he got really drunk. Um, but um, <laughs> the... Um, in the ga- in, in this software we're using, which is called Roll20... Yep. Um, it has simulated 3D dice that you can roll, and I'm like, I doubt that's a physics engine. Oh no! no it's but not. it does make it look really con- like it's really convincing how it rolls and bounces around. So maybe it is simulated, and and it doesn't give you the result until after the roll stops. So maybe it actually is a physics engine. Well, w- what about using uh, Gary's mod from uh, the Source engine? Yeah, uh, you can create basically anything you want in that and drop it from the sky yeah uh so you could always 
use Half-Life's uh, physics, physics engine. engine. Who knows how accurate that, that is, is for rolling. Yeah. I doubt it is. <laughs> I'll take a look at the uh, Roll20 API. I wonder if you can create your own dice sizes. That I kind of cool. doubt it, but be interesting to look into. That be that would be hilarious if D&D solved a a mathematician's problem. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> then you can then you can just simulate. I'm just like think of what's the fastest way to like build up a physics engine and simulate this stuff like so you can do different ratios and stuff. Right. And and sort of the way they discussed it cuz they they gave some rules about 3D printing because you could basically 3D print the, these dice with a really thin infill mm-hmm. and that would skew the numbers so if you were to like accurately moderate uh, model this you would want a cylinder of uniform density yep and complete you know no yeah, 100%. hollow yeah 100 percent um and i would think you could completely ignore air resistance so basically just make a, a vacuum playground for this thing mm-hmm. and and just calculate like you know, moments and it's spinning and all the inertia and stuff like that. I'm sure it's not trivial, but I think it could be done. You know what we should do is we should tweet at that Roll20 company and see if they will go in on this. <laughs> and yeah, three-sided die. Yeah, and put well, a three- they just For a three-sided die, I think they just basically you roll a, a six-sided and divide by two. No, no. Um, uh, actually, a three-sided die, a D3 is a four-sided pyramid. So it's a, what, an equilateral pyramid, I think is what they call it. Okay. And then each point, or is that a D4? That's, that's a, D4. a D4. Yeah, that's a D4. I don't think there's a D3 then. Yeah. The, uh, the way we used to do D3s back when I was in high school playing D&D, we used to just go out and buy um, erasers. Because a lot of times you can get a triangular eraser. Ah. And we would just write a number on each side. There you uh, go. And that You already solved the problem. There. Yeah, there it is. There's a D3. <laughs> Although those have some you know, non-zero chance yeah. of landing on one of the other two sides. As long as and that's the, a critical hit, as, I guess. Yeah, as long as that, <laughs> that not, at least the one that happens a lot isn't, like, one. Yeah. Well, you see, this is the exact, this is exactly how the difference between an engineer's and a mathematician's mind work, because, like, to us, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's, there's, there's your solution. And to a mathematician, they're like, but there is a chance it could land on the side. And we're like, ah, whatever, I'll take my chances. <laughs> take my chances. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you want to partake in that, uh, the uh, if you go to macfab.com and go navigate to the podcast in episode 105, we'll have all the links up there yep. when this episode releases. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So, kind of on a little bit of a side note, um, completely different topic, I'm going to segue here. I was actually kind of looking at some fun stuff last night. I was just seeing, like, for an average home gamer, just a guy who's got a little bench at home, like, what's the highest frequency signal that you can generate like can you go make a i think you need to specify that too well it's like how what do you say like i mean like when you say a signal is it like is it a square wave is it a perfect sine wave because you do have like when you start getting up in speed you start getting slew and overshoot and a bunch of other crazy things so i you I didn't put the stipulation of the signal has to look a certain way. I just yeah. wanted to. I just wanted to go fast. Okay. You know, gotta go fast. Yes. So you're looking for a sonic. Yeah. Right. Okay. And and so you know, just looking at chips available online, it's actually not that hard to get in like the you know the 2.4 gigahertz range. Like there's a lot of chips that just do it. Uh, you know, you need a little bit of an amplifier, but most of the time they have 
like a, like a circuit description where it'll show like if you put this down and you put this amp after it and you use the right coax, then you'll get you know 2.4 gigahertz. Yep. Uh, but I was like, gotta go fast. I want to go faster than that. And I actually found that you can just straight up buy uh, terahertz signal generators. Hmm. Like way fast kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what you would use those for. That's exactly what I was uh, looking at because I was like. What is the point of having something that goes that fast? And they're not cheap, obviously. And they look all like super like lab grade stuff because that's probably the only place they would ever exist. But like, what would you use a terahertz? Probably like, doing a terahertz square wave. Probably doing timing. Oh, like you could probably pump that through a, a laser diode, do some kind of timing with whatever you're doing. Huh. Kind of like a strobe light. Yeah, but what can count that? Something that counts faster than terahertz. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> I want to know what that is. Or or I guess you'd have to do some kind of like, I don't know, phase something or other. Something that counts a lot slower, but it catches every like tenth pulse or something of that sort. You know, some way to divide it down so that you, you actually capture it. Probably some kind of FPGA stuff could do it. A terahertz? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. So. Some of the high-end uh, FPGA stuff is pretty crazy fast. I mean, that's how they were capturing like neutrino timings which like go like 90 plus percent the speed of light so yeah yeah something well, like that or like uh you know the i was watching a documentary earlier today on it the um the most sensitive equipment in the world is the uh gosh we got three places there's louisiana there's france and there's a place in washington where they detect gravitational waves oh yeah yeah, yeah. and they have to detect a laser like shifting on two 90 degree axes and they have to detect the wavelength shift by, like, 10 to the negative, like, 6 billion. I don't remember how many zeros, but it's a, it's a gazillion zeros or something. And uh, they're able to do that. So somehow there's probably some kind of terahertz generator in there just because, oh, yeah. because you know. Just, yeah. yeah, because it's like that. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was fun. Yeah. If you know what you would use a terahertz generator for, tweet us. Yeah. Please let us know. Yeah, or... I will not sleep until you tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so, why are you staying up? I have to know. I gotta know. I gotta know. So that was my funky section, Parker. Yeah. All right. So I so last week we we're talking about the um, article I was writing, which mm-hmm. was the article for design, how to use like the MacFab interface to do design considerations. So that article will be live. By the time this podcast comes out, so give that a read. It's pretty in depth. It's a lot about using how how to like use pricing to drive your design so you can get your price point down easier. So instead of having to like go back and redesign stuff because oh that's too expensive, it's like what's where should you like take a stop in your design to go check pricing out? So go check out that article. Um, and now with the Pinhack Rev 8 kind of slowing down, like on my end, the hardware end is kind of done. So it's up to the software devs up in Benton, Wisconsin now to finish that out. Um, I started working on that compute module motherboard, Raspberry Pi compute module motherboard. So we built that LVDS board, which I won the bet from Steven on, like episode like 80 or 70 or something like that. That's the one that uh, I gave you a six-pack of Zima for, right? No, our guest gave me Zima. Well, they gave it to me to give to you, ah, so okay, it sure. counts. Okay. 
I think that there was that was like last July. Yeah, or something like that. that yeah, that, wow. We were still we were still recording with Josh because we took a picture uh, yep. of Zima underneath ET. Yep, and that was before the hurricane. So <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, man, only like three months later, that hurricane would mess everything up. No, it's crazy. Um, so I started working on that again. So the LVDS board was like just enough to test the pin heck rev eight stuff. Um, but I wanted to flush that out more. Like I want to add the HDMI connector. I want to put in a USB hub, basically make it a full fledged motherboard or like a Raspberry Pi three compute module laptop motherboard. So that's what I'm going with it. So I started doing a lot of USB hub, like research, like how do you design a USB hub, all that stuff, the proper way to do it. Cause that's the only way to do it. So I started looking at the. I basically went to Mauser.com and went typed in USB hub, and picked the first result. Which, you know, always the best way to go. Oh, like for like a, a chip that does chip it all. Chip that does it. Yeah. Um, well, you need like it needs to be able to multiplex the signals. So you usually use a dedicated chip to do that. That does like ninety percent of the functions. And so I looked at the TUSB twenty four six B, which is like a it's a TI part. Um, and it, it handles it's a four port um, chip it handles all the enumeration all that good stuff um, and it also handles overcurrent limiting and all that good stuff so to use overcurrent limiting you use a like a um, you need to use like a power multiplexer that basically is monitoring all the lines that come out of it and so I picked the TPS 2044 which is another TI part because it's in like it's in the application note does, does it talk back to the hub chip? Yeah, it talks back by just pulling pins high and low. Like, oh, this channel is overcurrent, so pull pin high. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So it's a, a supervisory uh, power management IC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can use... I've actually used a chip that... The smaller version that was like only two channels of this power advisory chip before. Mm. Um, doing power management on... I can't remember what that project was. For some reason, I had that part designed. <laughs> so I can't remember what I would use it for, <laughs> but it was designed in my library. So so it can it can supply five hundred uh, milliamps to each channel. Channel, yeah, nice. Which is okay. I, I want to be able to support um, uh, power. Uh, what is it? BD two point one. What's that? That's the um, USB two point spec for um, battery charging. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. that's like you know two point one amps over five volts. Right. So it's like ten watts, right? But but doesn't whatever whatever you connect to it doesn't have to ask for that. It has to ask for that. But this chip won't be able to do that. Mm. Um. So I was like, okay, I got, I kind of got stopped there with that design because I'm like, okay, it's kind of you know not it not doesn't do the power I want because I want to be able to handle like the high powered stuff, and and then I looked into in the TUSB twenty forty six hub chip. Which is only like twelve megabyte uh, megabits per second, so it's kind of slow. Because I think the Raspberry Pi three it handles f- uh, high speed, which is like four hundred and eighty megabits per second, something it's like that. Fast. Yeah, and then I started looking into the um, like what requirements you have to put onto like the USB lines. So the the USB spec says one hundred twenty microfarads. I think it's yeah one hundred twenty microfarads cap per hub. So you need like a 
capacitor basically in there to handle surge. You mean like right on the five volt line? Yeah, right on the five volt line to handle surge when you plug a device in. Yeah. Um, TI recommends actually using 100 UF uh, microfarads per port, though. That's pretty beefy. Yeah, it's pretty beefy. And they also recommend using low ESR, and they say tantalum. You can probably get away with a ginormous ceramic cap, too. Well, I mean, but but if you're talking about 5 volts, uh, you can get a small 5-volt ceramic. Uh, or Well, I mean, the lowest you go is like, what, 10 to 16 volt? Something like that. Yeah. And they're not that expensive. No, no. So you can, you can probably get away with a... Because ceramic is usually pretty low ESR, mm-hmm. and so you can probably get away with a 100 UF, like, it would probably be, what, a 12, 10, or bigger? Yeah, you're probably not going to get lower than an 0805 if yeah. you're lucky. On oh, no, no, you won't be able to get an 0805 and 100. That's a, that's a lot of capacitance in a small yeah. ca- uh, cap. You would get one of those in, like, those crappy dielectrics, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, you need... So, good design practice, 100 UF per pin, or per port, and then the, um, the differential signaling... Um, usually put about 27 ohms of termination it's depends on your design but usually 27 ohms is in the ballpark is that's 27 to ground no no in series oh, the termination in, oh my bad my bad yeah yeah and but to ground um on the chip side of the port and the chip side of these resistors is you usually put a 22 picofarad cap to help suppress um they say emf or emi um, stuff, and so I'm like, well, that basically you created a low pass filter there. Wait, uh, so the the 22 picofarad goes right at the port, or does no, it go on right on the, at the chip? At at the chip. Hmm. So at the pin of the chip to ground is what you where you want this this. Um, oh, so so, so it dumps through the cap instead of blasting out in yeah. the space. Or actually, it's from coming in, or it's probably EMI coming in through the cable. Oh, conductive. Yeah, conductive EMI, which is interesting is. This is supposed to be most of the times you put EMI stuff close to the port, mm-hmm. but this one's kind of weird because that way. But regardless, um, or maybe it's just on, it has to be on the other side of that twenty-seven ohm termination resistor. Well, if you put it if you put it on the chip side, it is on the chip side. So it goes the pin on the chip, yeah. Then this twenty-two picofarad cap, then the resistor, then the in series twenty-seven ohm resistor, and right. then the port. So I bet you what it is is that the Resistor needs to be as close to the port. Yep. And this cap needs to be as close to the port. Because you limit how much right. energy is coming onto that line. Um, and I did look up, because this, this creates a, I put in quotes, low-pass filter, because it's a low-pass setup. But it's like 267 megahertz <laughs> is this low-pass filter. Well, uh, the thing is, it creates, okay, so it creates a low-pass if you're looking into the port. Yeah. But... You also have to take into consideration what the impedance of the pin of the chip is. Yep. So that's going to shift that yeah. frequency all over the place. But you're also seeing a two-pole low-pass filter. If you're if pretend you're the chip looking out. Yep. You're you have some output impedance. Yep. Then you see the cap. Then you see the resistor. Then you see anything else attached to that. So. You know, I guess those two components are probably—they've probably been found empirically. I doubt that they're calculated. Yeah. You know, but yeah. So that's like so it does create this like I yeah low pass filter, right? Um, which basically probably cuts off any kind of EMI noise and stuff. Takes the edge off. Yeah, it takes the edge off a little bit. You could also, if you don't have that resistor right at the port, I bet you could put a ferrite bead 
yeah, right you at can. the port. You can. Uh, and have that thing set way beyond the transmission speed. Yeah, you know? which is, at for this chip, that's 12 megabits a second. I've calculated this up, which is 12 megahertz. Right. So we're way below that. Yeah, you could probably put like a 50 megahertz bead on the, and then you'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but given that the fact that it's only full speed, this chip, I just, I'm probably have to go with the TUSB 4041, which is full, which is a high speed USB 2.0 or 2.1 device. Is it just the same thing, but high speed? N- no ish. It's a bigger chip, but a lot of the pins are unused. I would do a lot more research on that pit. Hmm, that part. Okay. So hopefully next week I'll have a, I'm going to design a board that is a USB hub. That's going to be the cheapest way to go to prototype this, and I'll probably build the world's most expensive USB hub. Are you willing to share that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I would love to see it myself. I'm not much of a, you know, I don't know a whole lot about USB, so I'd love to see how you accomplish yeah, that. Yeah, so I, what I really want to add to this stuff is it needs to have a beefy 5-volt line because I want to handle the um, BD 2.1 spec. Mm-hmm. So... And I think this TUSB 4041 uh, supports that, too. It supports that. that. Does it need any heat sinking? Because, I mean, if you're dropping... It has a big thermal pad. Okay, yeah. Because if if you've got four ports and they're all dropping 2.1 amps... Yeah. I mean, that thing is going to get hot fast. Well, no. The power doesn't go through the hub. Oh, it has a... a, You have an auxiliary power distribution stuff. Well, okay, but it's going through that chip, right? Or does it have off-board MOSFETs or something? I think those... The, the power distribution hub, like the TSB 2044, has built-in MOSFETs, and they're like tw- they're like 20 milli-ohm. Okay, so they don't get real hot. They don't get really hot. They're okay. designed to handle the power. All of it, yeah. 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 All right, that's cool. Yeah, hopefully next week I'll have that design, and we can talk about that design. And I'll probably talk about the next phase, which is going to be some other section of this motherboard. Basically, I was going to do like every week like alternate so we'll talk about the design and then go over the design of the hub and then a week after that we'll go off the next section which might be you know the lithium battery charging management you know i think eventually all of your pinball stuff and all of your technology is going to end up on one like massive board that (laughs) incorporates like every possible form of technology like ever maybe and it's one of those things where if you ever if you ever ch- switch jobs or go for a resume, all you need to do is just bring in that board. I built this. Yeah, just like <laughs> this has everything. I'll just point yeah. to it. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely on this resume. Well, it's like, how do you make a complete system so and it's all self-sufficient? Is what this Raspberry Pi CM board is going to be like? You just connect the dots and then yeah. it works. Yep. Because um, I already have the LVDS stuff down, so display is done. Yeah. Um, HDMI is just hooking up to HDMI, so it's that's not anything crazy. You just got to make sure the differential pairs are the same. Um, and yeah, does uh, does Eagle have differential pair handling? Yep. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So that's gonna be a fun project. I can't wait to get that one done. It's gonna Neat. take a long time though. <laughs> so, because especially since I'm building it out like this, like in modules. Like, I'll do the hub, and then just copy the hub over, and then I'll do, like, the lithium battery protection, copy that over. Until but, I, but you got to admit, that's the best way to do it. Oh, yeah. For prototyping, especially especially since I don't have, like, a pressing timeline, 
it's definitely the cheapest way and easiest way to go about it. Well, and each module, you since they can effectively run independently, you can test it, make sure it's perfect, and then it becomes a plug-in module. Yep. Yeah, that's so much easier. Yep. All right, so the RFO. So we got two this week. Well, kind of two and a half. All right. Um, the first one's nice and quick. Is um, Mauser is now an authorized distributor of Espressif. I think I pronounced that right. Espressif? Espressif is the manufacturer of all those really cool, cheap Wi-Fi chips, like the ESP8266. Cool. Basically what made the IoT stuff kind of explode in the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah. Now you can go on Mauser and just buy the stuff that you used to have to, like, outsource to, like, AliExpress. Like the the full-on modules. Yep. And oh, the awesome. I think they're going to carry all the ICs, too. So if you want to, like, super embed their stuff, you can. That is great. Yeah. So I can't wait to see that show up on... Um, I'm very curious to see what the price is going to be on that. Because yeah, the, they're just unbelievably cheap on eBay and stuff. Yeah. But, but it's eBay. Electronics on eBay is always iffy. Yeah. Very uh, iffy. But and, and so I wonder I wonder how well Mauser's... Well, I mean, it's Mauser. They're usually pretty good about doing their homework so they pick they pick good valuable uh vendors uh, well if they're going directly to the manufacturer that manufacturer expressive will be providing the parts to them so as long as of course that manufacturer's supply chain hasn't been compromised yeah. it should be good hmm that's cool i'm i'm, I'm really uh, i'm i'm curious to look at the data sheets and and um yeah dig through all that yeah we're gonna have to Wait to see this stuff to drop, and then um, see what the price differences are from it's, like buying from AliExpress. Well, just sort of as like a default, it's probably going to be more expensive, but it's trusted. You get it faster. And I wonder what the price differences will be between Mauser and like all the small guys like Adafruit and SparkFun that were carrying these parts. That's mm. kind of like they would buy a reel on. AliExpress, and then test some of them and make sure they're okay. And I wonder what their price difference is going to be. You know, and and it's interesting because Mauser carries a huge portion of uh, SparkFun's uh, uh, catalog. Yep. That kind of I wonder how that's working, how that will work for SparkFun. Because does that mean like SparkFun is now undercut on all their ESP stuff? You know, I guess if you want a red PCB from SparkFun, you could still pay more for that. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. just get the ESP, the Mauser ESP or whatever it is. Hmm, yeah. that, that's cool. What did you, you hear about that? That was on uh, Electronics Weekly. Awesome. Yeah. So look forward to that. And that's the best thing uh, about that is going to be when you search for, you can search for the ESP parts in the MacFab bomb and the, you can select them now. Oh. Because we get our right, information from Mauser. Oh, that's super cool. So that's like a just a flat-out definable part that you get now. Yep. Instead of having to be set that... Well, we used to have to consign it because you couldn't buy it from a authorized distributor. Right, because going to Amazon or eBay or Ollie, whatever, Yeah. it's kind of like, uh... Yeah, sketch. Yeah, real sketch. Cool. And then the next topic is some FPGA dev boards that kind of come down the pipeline. So the first one I saw was um, Arrow... Makes a $40 FPGA board now. Okay. That runs off a Altera Max 10. Uh, actually, no, it's $30. I, I wrote down the wrong thing. $30. Even cheaper. Um, it has got built-in USB programmer and all this other good stuff. It's Hackaday did like an article about it. It's so like, oh, that's kind of cool. And it's pr- 
pretty inexpensive and it's not super beefy, but it's like you can do like every single starter project and you can do so much stuff on it. Um, Could you still chunk a microcontroller core into it? A maybe. small one, maybe. It's small. it's more like a, a the Max 10 is not really a FPGA, it's a CPLD. Oh, okay. But CPLDs now are kind of pretty hefty devices now. It's the AT tiny of the FPGA world? Kind of. <laughs> um, well, it used to be CPLDs were like super cut down and really limited in what they have. But nowadays, especially in the Max 10s, they're like basically just mini FPGAs now. Right. They're just, they just don't have as much logic elements in IO now. So... And then, so I was like, okay, you know, that's pretty cool. And then I was, you know, browsing for topics and stuff, and then saw this article on EE Web that just came out. And it's um, this product called Tiny FPGA that uses Lattice FPGAs. Mm. And you're talking 12 bucks for an FPGA dev board. Wow. From this guy. It's starting to come down cheap. Yeah, and you have to buy his $9 programmer, but you can reuse it. And I think he sells like a own one. That has the USB built in for like 25 or 30 bucks. Okay. So go check those out. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, gosh, over the Christmas break, you actually gave me a Lattice FPGA. Yeah, my Ice 2. Stuff. Yeah, the that, Ice 2, yeah. That uh, DigiKey gave to me for free. Oh, nice. Thank um, you, DigiKey. I've been... Uh, Send me more free stuff. I've been meaning to plug it in and, and dig into it, but I've been on a bunch of other stuff. I really want to get into uh, digging through some FPGA stuff. Just kind of get my feet wet on it's it. It's so much fun. It seems like it and and <laughs> from what I've what I've really kind of found out about FPGAs is that they were supposed to be in a way they were supposed to be the microcontrollers of the microcontroller world. They were supposed mm-hmm. to like surpass microcontrollers many many years ago or at least that was like the intent, but they just didn't because they they're expensive and a lot of other limitations that come Power with consumption. It. Well, and difficulty yep. at the same time. Uh, and so the thing is, like, it would be cool to uh, microcontrollers that are not necessarily microcontrollers. They're just pre-programmed FPGAs in a way where they just are presented to you as a microcontroller. Oh, you mean like ASICs? Basically, yeah. It would be cool to see uh, a bit more of that. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if we do uh, start seeing something like that. So, Cool. Awesome. So that will wrap up this episode. Uh, the MacFab Engineering Podcast, episode 105. So we were your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Dolman. Take it easy, guys. Later. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea or project or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to that podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen. Whoa, that changed. Podcast Addict or iTunes. (laughs) It helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. MacRab is also hiring, apparently. Still. (laughs) 